Greetings. I'm Jay Severin, here to present to you Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit number 34, Biden Bites. Excelsior! Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit with Jay Severin. Who do you think's ahead in the Democrat primary? Well, Biden certainly has the vote of the media delegation. If only they could vote. But then again, if my grandmother had balls, she'd be my grandfather. They can't vote. Thank goodness for the Republic. Media confused as to just what to report. When not eviscerating President Trump? Confused by a 22-candidate field whose names they cannot name and thus do not? Has welcomed old white Joe's candidacy with a predictable, predicted like, oh, uh, here. A predictable warmness, like an old pair of slippers. Not too tight, not too loose, despite the fact that old Joe is always one or the other. And a bonus, the former partner of their most beloved and sacred, St. Barack Hussein Obama. Easier for the media to report on Biden because they already know him, or think they do. This is the truth. Establishment media Biden stories write themselves. They require little skills, no research, And absolutely no ability to analyze, let alone predict. That's okay. You know I am an analysis machine. A prediction factory that never closes. You will never want for pre-news here. Or your money back. Every dime. Okay. So media loves old Joe. And because they love him, they write about him far more prominently uh, than the other 21 uh, candidates. The dwarfs whose names he cannot name, whose names you cannot name, whose names, for the first time in my life, I cannot name and give you a 45-minute biography of each one. I don't know, probably five of them. And almost without exception, they write about him favorably, which in turn spins the sense that Biden is somehow the inevitable Democrat nominee. You know, he's just too well-known and has such electability, which is the uh, the uh, soft racism of the clever use of the English language. When people talk about, yeah, when they look at the dwarfs, especially the ones of color, the ones that are gay, trans, Stalinist, gay, black, uh, trans, gay of color, color, when they look at them, They say, yeah, really fascinating people, but I think we need someone electable, which is, as reported here about 10 days ago, the the most popular new dog whistle by, by and for Democrats, electable, meaning not black, meaning not trans, meaning not socialist, meaning... Not black, meaning not trans, meaning not gay, not black, not socialist, not gay, not trans, 
not trans. So it's Biden, right? What? Because he's popular with the media slime. And as I, I say slime because we know them. We know what they are. Uh, all honest patriots' eyes know this, recognize this. Biden loves them, the media, for reasons presented above. It's because Biden, like his godfather Obama, has never known, I mean, thinking of media today, when you live, thinking of the media endured by conservatives and Republicans especially, and of course, uh, the ne plus ultra, Donald Trump, Obama and Biden have never known, most Democrats have never known what it is like to try and live under the withering, unrelenting artillery fire from the mainstream media. Every day, every night, every night, every day. Think of that for a moment. Compare the media attitudes and behaviors in the entire eight years of Obama, who was and is a genuine constitutional criminal. Compare that with the first two years of Trump. Unbelievable, unless you know the media. Obama was never touched. And, and Trump is a war, you know, war crimes guy. Uh, I say unless you know the media, and you're here, so you do. So old white Joe is lucky. He knows only love with and from the media. Well, old Joe's luck is about to change, and here's why. Firstly, here come the dwarfs. Joe, here come the dwarfs, Joe. And golly, dang, do they look mad. You see, as the dwarfs have struggled each day, and they do, to raise pennies, and attract even a teeny tiny bit of media coverage, any they get inevitably must be of the, yeah, but can he or she catch on in the polls? We'll see. Is there anything, sidebar, is there anything stupider and and more signaling a uh, abandonment of your duty, if you happen to be a journalist, to deliver a story and then say, We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Then what do I need you for if we'll see? You're there to tell me what is, and if you're really good, what's likely going to be. Anyone, any news person says, well, we'll see. And well, will they catch on in the polls? Will, will Bodo Beto catch on in the polls? We'll have to wait and see. Oh, you whore. What? I lead, I need this from you. I'm paying for this. Well, every dwarf who has been slighted at least, uh, you know, has at least one major asset. Oppo Research. Yes, our old friend Opposition Research, that dark art, uh, one practiced by your humble host, a process whereby uh, political strategists hire uh, essentially net detectives to scour every imaginable medium for everything the opposing candidate has ever done or uttered in his or her life and put it into a compendium, put it into a book. And when it comes to old Joe Biden, there's gold in them, Thar Hills. 40 years in public life, Biden is a negative researcher's wet dream. Too much damning data to choose from. Well, until now, Biden has been attacked um, by leak 
Only once. The few days of flurry. You remember the few days of flurry of leaks about his creepy mauling of women, his creepy behavior, such as it was called? It is widely believed, and true, that this came from second-place Bernie's camp. It worked a little. Not a lot. If you're Bernie, it was probably worth doing. It's a chance to land a punch, and you don't have to put your signature on it. That's what oppo research and negative campaigning is all about. But facing the bleak prospect of irrelevancy, I'm talking now about the, uh, the dwarfs, the other candidates. If you're facing the bleak prospect of having, you know, told your friends and family, everyone you know, everyone you don't know, that you're running for president of the United States, and for 15 of the dwarfs, it has to be tough because, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are people they've seen, actually seen, laugh in their faces. I mean, these are all accomplished people, even if you don't like them, and I don't. Even if you don't want them to be president, and I don't. These are, generally speaking, accomplished people. And they're standing on the verge of failure and, and irrelevancy. Two things that accomplished people have not known and will not like, like the taste of one bit. For instance, can you tell me anything about Seth Moulton? Seth Moulton, ring a bell? He's a young Harvard, Harvard MBA grad, Rhodes Scholar, a decorated combat veteran of four combat tours in Afghanistan. He is also a current candidate for president of the United States in the Democrat primary. And nobody knows a thing about him. I do only because I'm in the business and because he is my congressman. Yes, he's a Democrat, and no, I don't want him to be president, but my heart kind of breaks. You you like to think that someone like that, you take out everything but four combat tours decorated in Afghanistan, he's a better man than I, and my heart bleeds a little bit because I like to think someone like that would be maybe treated with respect, just a little respect, maybe deserve a look by the Democrats. They're too locked into doing the politically correct thing, right? They have to go, Seth Moulton, Harvard grad, Rhodes Scholar, combat veteran, four tours in Afghanistan? Nah, we want the trans, Stalinist, black, gay, woman, trans, black. You know, he's at zero. Zero in all the polls. When is the last time in Seth Bolton's life, do you think, he was at zero on anything? Who do you think would make a better... He's a Democrat. Hence a liberal. Hence, not for the Constitution as I read it. I don't want him to be president. But if I were looking for, you know, a candidate and I had only shitty ones... You know, I might take a look at Seth Moulton, but no, Democrats don't want white combat veteran, Rhodes Scholar, Harvard grad. If only he were trans. If only Seth could discover something which 20 years ago would have shamed him out of public life and embrace it and declare it. I'll have to think about that for him. I don't know Seth, by the way. I just think he's a good example to use in this homily. Anyway, facing the prospect of irrelevance and an early exit 
from this great race they've undertaken. Even for a young American hero, some read most of the dwarves. Most of the dwarves are virtually forced to going dwarf batshit on Biden. (laughs) They haven't yet done so, but they are on the absolute verge of going dwarf batshit on uh, old white Joe. Think of it. The sheer volume and nature of, you know, some nauseating sins of his 40-year public past. The 21 other, 21 other candidates combined all of their opposition research. They leak a story every other day between them. Think of what they can launch against the good ship Joe. Political carpet bombing of Biden. It is coming any moment. You, you Think of this. You haven't seen or heard any negative news about Joe Biden. That's, that's not true or false. That's true. That's a fact. Here comes opinion that's a brother of fact. You're going to see it. It's going to happen. It's going to break. And it ain't going to stop until the dwarves run out of everything they have. And, and the first, which will be, as a sidebar, very exciting to watch, fascinating, honest, is when the first dwarf or dwarfs release a hit, a leak against Joe Biden, will MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, CNN refuse to cover it? It is frightening how much it would be frightening if it were the other way around, if the media were conservative. Of course, if the media were true conservatives, they wouldn't hold anything back. They would report the news, both sides, uh, multiple angles, like the only remaining real network news, the only remaining national news broadcast left in American media, which is uh, the news with Brett Baer every evening on Fox at 6 o'clock Eastern time. It is the fairest rendition of the news in America that day and then an opinion panel for the last 15 minutes of the show, which is opinion. And believe me, it's more liberal than conservative, the opinion. Have you ever listened? The the panel pisses me off. I've been on that panel. I mean, and, and any other network in my time doing this, you name it, I've been on it. Sometimes extremely, well, it was always extremely fun, even when I was angry. Um, I was on with John McLaughlin. Now he, I, he's my hero growing up with him. He was, he's just great. Anyway, anyway, uh, it's really not about me for the moment. Uh, and I end that by saying, and ladies and, ladies and germs, when this carpet bombing of Biden drops, please do remember where you heard it first and buy this fine product. Continue to buy this fine product. So, now that establishment media is, in the absence of any, you know, real news from Dwarfland, is again, and out of really no choices as much as nostalgia, puffing up old Joe with headlines such as Biden the leader and can anyone catch up? These frankly ridiculous headlines uh, broke on Monday owing to a poll and, and 80% of stories from here on out are going to be based on leaks, negative leaks from opponents, and polls. In my lifetime, I've seen polls to go from 
unknown and untouched by the media, to a secret weapon that I used in my uh, three-decade career as a prominent political operative. It was our secret weapon. No one could figure out how we knew what was going to happen next and how we picked out exactly the right slogan a year and a half ago and everything else. Good polls. Bad polls will be what you'll be reading about. Now, what just happened, and and please follow me here, what just happened on Monday was owing to a poll often quoted by news folk, which, of course, once they start to quote a poll, the, the next time, the first time a poll is quoted, they don't say anything about it. The second time and the 400th time that they use this poll, they, they refer to it as the respected, see, because that's how the game is. You pick out a poll, you quote them, and then in order to burnish your own credentials, your own sources, you say, well, I got this from the widely respected Monmouth poll. It happens to be, so it was on Monday that the Monmouth poll from Monmouth College, and I will say right now as a sidebar, here's what you need to know about the Monmouth poll. The Monmouth poll is to polls what Monmouth College is to colleges. Okay, so according to the respected Monmouth poll, old Joe Biden is the top old dog, not to be confused with Snoop Dogg, though they do both like big butts. The Monmouth poll shows Biden leading the field of mice by 24 points. How about that? As the lemming media report, one after one, off the cliff, only one problem. The respected Monmouth poll has already uh, self-inflicted one of the great damages on polling in general, and the respected Monmouth poll in particular, because they apparently posed the poll question this way. Which Democrat candidate do you favor, Joe Biden or someone else? <laughs> oh, you know, there aren't a lot of jokes in among political operatives, but I just told one. The respected Monmouth poll, and this is why it isn't among political pros, neglected somehow to observe one of public opinion surveys, that's as we political pros call them, most sacred rules. If you want to know how everyone in the field is doing, you must ask about everyone in the field, duh. So a question posed as Biden or someone else, uh, of course old Joe's going to be ahead by 24 points. Biden or other? Biden. 24 points. That is poll malpractice. The question the respected Monmouth poll ought to have asked, I mean, if you're like a real pollster, you have like a telephone in an office maybe, is, quote, which candidate do you favor? And then name each one of them. Give them a chance to hear the name of each one of them. Because if you think... You don't remember a lot of them, and I don't know a lot of them. How many do you think the average person has to work for a living and worry about bills and health and all these other things that we all have to face, all these challenges we have every day, who don't have the luxury that I have of doing this, following this, you know, like a baseball writer follows baseball. How lucky is he? Well, how lucky am I? Well, I don't know them. How much do you think like, the guy who just came from FedEx dropped off this package, is humping these packages all day long, driving that truck? You think, you think he could name all 22 Democrat candidates? So 
They asked my FedEx driver, uh, Biden or someone else? Biden ahead by 24 points. Bullshit. Which candidate do you favor and name all of them? Only that way can you hope to determine anything like an accurate snapshot of where we are. And by the way, sidebar, for that is all even the best poll is. It's a snapshot. It's a, it's a snapshot of a horse race. It's a snapshot of attitudes right now. Remember what a snapshot of attitudes, like a horse race, if you froze it in place a month, six months, a year, two years before the last presidential election, who would you not only pick, but who would you be absolutely sure had no chance? Yeah, today you call him Mr. President. The best poll is a snapshot in time and only of that moment. If you take that same snapshot a week later, different horses will be in different places. That's how politics works. We don't have a a poll is not a horse race video that shows us the end. It's a series of snapshots and what we're shooting changes. So when a poll names only a single candidate in a 22 candidate field, you get Biden by 24%. Guess what? When the legit surveys that I have seen in key primary states do polls and ask about all the candidates, we get profoundly different results. And within the last few days, according to legit surveys in key primary states, New Hampshire, Iowa, Wisconsin, et al., when not just Biden or other was offered, but Biden versus each candidate, old Joe ain't up by 24 points. In point of fact, Biden leads Bernie by one percentage point. One percentage point, which, owing to something called the margin of error, depending depending on how many people you question and how you question them and a number of factors that you use to score it, all polls have a margin of error. So they will tell you, you know, this poll has, you know, has this guy 10 points ahead with a margin of error of three points, four points, five points. That means, you know, benefit of the doubt one way or the other margin of error this this the margin of error on this poll is 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 such that uh, bernie uh, i'm sorry uh, biden ahead by one point ahead of bernie could be losing by four points these polls show the early key primary states favor several of the dwarfs to be within a few to several points of biden not 24 points ahead He's got seven, six, seven candidates that are within six or seven points. And Bernie, right on his ass or ahead of him. In short, at this stage, a dead heat. Anyone could win. Anyone could be ahead. And they will. Gee, if you're still with me, and I hope you are, when you hear me talk about this a month from now, you know, you're not going to see any Biden ahead by 24 point stories because there isn't any campaign yet. You know, let him get in the ring. Like Mike Tyson, I, you know, don't, I'm not given to often quoting Mike Tyson, the scholar and prize fighter. But, uh, you know, Mike, Mike Tyson said something I now use as a, a quote of my life. And, you know, when they were saying before one of his big fights, they were saying, well, your opponent, I forget who it was. You know, he, he says he has a plan to beat you. <laughs> and, and Mike Tyson said famously, yeah, everybody got a plan till they get hit in their mouth. <laughs> so, so true, Professor. 
uh, Tyson. So true. In short, at this stage, anyone could be ahead and will. You're going to see mice jump up 10 points and then stories written about Beto gets within 15. But it won't say that. It'll say Beto jumps 15 points, you know, to 16. (laughs) That's the story they won't write. You might think a respected poll would know and observe that, but they don't because another dark area of polls, which we'll we'll go into soon, is because when when I was designing polling, my pollsters, who now turned out to be the greatest ever in the history of polling, I mean, that sounds like a Trump statement, I know, but they really, really are. More about them in a minute. Uh... They used to come, you know, with all their assistants and everything. There'd be 18 people in the room, and all of them went to Harvard, and they all had, the, you'd see, half of them had PhDs in math, and they would sit down and say, okay, you know, give us the background here. And they would take notes, and they would listen, and, you know, all the strengths and weaknesses and fears and hopes. Uh, maybe they'd meet the candidate, maybe not. And then, you know, they'd come back in a few weeks with a book, and that book was the story of this campaign based on strengths and weaknesses, opportunities, weaknesses. But now a poll is a story. Journalists foment polls and actually pay for them. When you see the NBC Marist College, I mean, I say here too, in fairness, the, the Marist College poll is to polls as Marist College is to colleges. When you see the NBC Marist, Col- uh, 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 Marist College poll, all that means is that NBC went to Marist College and wrote them a big check, $100,000, $50,000, I don't know yet what the whores in the media charge, and they say, we want a poll on the governor's race. And, 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 uh, and Marist may ask, may not, but they may ask, how do you want that? And NBC says, I want it Thursday morning is how I want it. They don't give a shit what it says or how they conduct it. They're going to do it as quickly, quick and dirty. Get it done, run it over to NBC, get the check. They don't do lots of things they ought to do because they're shitty pollsters. And also because it, 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 in, it's not in fairness, but I ought to observe, doing it right requires a lot of expertise, meaning the people you now employ the combined uh, payroll of which is a quarter of a million dollars a year would have to be a million dollars a year. You'd have to hire quants from Harvard and Yale and Hopkins and other Ivy League schools with masters and doctorates. They're not going to work for you for $50,000 a year. So anything you do to make it better costs a lot of money. It costs expertise. It costs extra time, which is, as we know, also money. Then, you know, so... Which is why nobody in the real campaign business takes these other polls seriously. But remember, polls are instant story, like instant coffee. Polls are instant story to lazy reporters. Count on it. Set your watch by it. Every poll gets covered, no matter how bogus. And meanwhile, the handful of gifted, great pollsters, and I want to mention, too, in particular, the geniuses that were then but had to wait years for recognition. The geniuses Douglas Schoen and Mark Penn, classmates at Harvard. Doug's a Rhodes Scholar, an author. Mark Penn, 
uh, both of them lawyers, both of them from Harvard. I had the absolute delight of a lifetime when you look back at the things you did professionally or otherwise and say, wow, you know, I had a chance to work with the best. It's like if I skated on a line, you know, with Rick McLeish or, you know, the uh, Sweet 16 line for the old Buffalo Sabres. Who was that? Sweet 16. I can't remember. Well, anyway, the genius is Douglas Schoen and Mark Penn. Mark now runs a polling organization, uh, and he also teaches at Harvard, and on the side uh, runs a polling organization, uh, which uh, does the best polling business in, in polling in the business, uh, aside from Doug Schoen's, and you probably can't get them. You know why? Because they're working for foreign countries. I worked for foreign countries, and I used polls like theirs or, or theirs because that's where you can go and do one campaign in Venezuela and make $50 million and retire if you want. But you have to be a genius and you have to run campaigns uh, or campaign organizations and won elections that people said had no chance at all. I've done that too. I elected a Republican governor in Alabama for the first time since the Civil War. When we won that campaign, the Republican registration in Alabama was 4%. For every four Republicans in Alabama, there were 96 Democrats. And Republican was, I'm telling you, was a four-letter word among the people to whom we had to appeal. I'd like to tell you that story someday. When you've won some that aren't winnable, then you get the bigger, bigger clients in the big, big states with the big, big media uh, budgets, and you start to make, you know, a million dollars and more. And that's when then finally you're asked by other countries to come work for them. And that's where you run up the bill like you cannot believe because there's no competition. Anyway, that's not a story of greed. It's a story of accomplishment and good old capitalism. Anyway, great pollsters generally do not work for media outlets. You're not going to see, you know, a Channel 2 Doug Schoen poll. They're employed by campaign strategists around the world, yes, such as myself, to conduct proprietary private surveys, sometimes polling 10 times the number of people that an American average poll might do and might ask uh, the average American media uh, or even candidate poll might ask 35 questions. We would ask, if we were doing a Penn and Schoen poll, we'd ask 135 questions, maybe 150. We knew and broke down everything about everything. The, the media section alone was probably a separate 75 questions to find out who everybody, what, make sure, you know, make sure we had a perfect cross-section, and we knew what everybody watched on what nights. So if I knew that my weakness right now was with 18 to 25-year-old women, then I could call up Doug and say, how do I reach 18 to 25-year-old women? And two seconds later, I'd get a message saying, um, buy these shows at this frequency. And all of a sudden, uh, the press, of course, never knew it at the time, but all of a sudden, we'd go up eight points in the field of education or whatever we were hurting in. And they'd say, wow, how'd they do that? And naturally, we you know said, well, we're wizards. That' why we put on our pointed hat and our big sleeves and and just enjoyed the the adulation. 
They conduct private surveys, the result of which are and must be guarded like a national secret, like the crown jewels in the Tower of London. In the hands of real political professionals, the results of a good poll, a great poll, equals a winning campaign roadmap spelled out. The blowhard reporters, <laughs> the blowhard reporters who feed off crappy polls give you, can you guess, crappy coverage. Crap in, crap out. More about this. No, that's not a threat as the campaign devolves. Soon you will know more about the inside of these campaigns than you would ever care to. You will know more about the inside of these campaigns than any kid on your block. Really honest. The poll story has other genuinely fascinating and little-known facts. And inasmuch as the media lives and dies, is mortified by bad polls, but they live and die by polls, my job is to make sure you know how to tell the real turtle soup from the mock. And so you shall. And, if I may, on a point of personal privilege, I wept twice, mind you, last evening, and here's why. One, I watched President Trump present to Tiger Woods the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest award we can bestow on an American civilian, and how very appropriate was the choice of Tiger. During the President's recitation of his astounding, nearly ethereal accomplishments, which will never again be done, ever, and his remarks to his, Tiger's remarks to his family, recalling his father's guidance and support and love, Tiger choked up and reminded of the love between my late heroic father and me. So did I. Good excuse, no? Nextly, it was Boston Bruins. Bruins! Bruins! Next, it was Boston Bruins New England hockey night at my house with my family last evening. We bleed black and gold. Bruins! It happens that late in the game, one player, oh, one player devastated another extremely hard, just devastated another player with an extremely hard uh, check and knocked him into next week. I mean, they thought the guy was dead for the first five seconds. Every once in a while, you don't see this as much in hockey anymore, uh, placing now as they do uh, a premium on speed and skill. Not a lot of fighting and that stuff, but this was a... Fair, clean check. It just caught the guy when he didn't have his head up, and I thought he was dead. Now, this was only with a couple minutes left in the game, and I'm knowing full well, and thanks to me, so does my family. How proud am I that my little girl wears Bruins stuff? Bruins! It is a sacred tradition in hockey's Stanley Cup playoffs, as befits the world's oldest and greatest championship in sport that at the end of any series best of four you know best of seven at the end of any series the players line up at center ice at game's end and move through the line shaking hands watching riveted as the two players in question approached each other i listened to the best hockey play-by-play man who has ever graced a microphone mike Doc Emmerich, a notorious old-school hockey fan and a, a compendium of hockey fact and lore, a veritable encyclopedia du hockey. And when the players met, 
They did not scorn or reject or ignore each other. They virtually embraced, shaking hands, clapping each other on the back and the arms and the helmet in an extraordinary and moving display of sportsmanship. One could see that in the greatest traditions of the game, all was forgiven between great warriors. Enemies one minute, the brotherhood of hockey the next. It was as moving as anything I have ever seen in the game. And as I am this year celebrating 50 years, 50 years as a hockey fan, player, coach, and all-around hockey nut, I pass this along to my daughter, who's now is about as knowledgeable about the game as anybody. I have seen a few. And then, just as these two players were hugging it out, as they were finishing, Doc Emmerich did something broadcasters almost never do. Almost never have the grace or judgment to do. He kept quiet. For several seconds, just the sight and sounds of this special thing. It heightened the meaning and the enjoyment of the moment by a thousandfold. Doc Emmerich, it wasn't over. Doc Emmerich obviously needing to break his silence after several seconds. He did. By saying this. I love this sport. And as he said it, his voice noticeably cracked, as mine is right now, by the emotion. That is Doc Emmerich. That is A. That's the cup. Here is my family cheering with me. And that, too, made me weep with joy. Another good excuse, no? Bruins! Thank you for spending this time with me. Do join me on Twitter. I'll be back here soon. I'm Jay Severin. Excelsior!